and we're live. Welcome to this week's MicroConf on air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to value and maintain healthy relationships. We believe that showing up every day, shipping that next feature, next piece of marketing copy, or closing your next sale is a way to build a sustainable company. We don't ask for permission to start companies. We build and ship real products and sell to real customers who pay us real money. Welcome to Microconf on Air. You may be able to hear my dog in the background. This is live streaming in a pandemic. I have a couple children at home as well as a Sharpay who is steadfastly guarding the front door. Today, we are talking about hitting the pause button on your SaaS. It's a, an interesting topic and, and a new one that I don't think I've covered before, whether on this, uh, this show or on other podcasts that I've done. I am pretty excited to dive into this. My guest today is Allison Siebold of Fantasy Congress. She's the founder of Fantasy Congress at fantasycongress.com. Allison is a self-taught developer and a bootstrapping enthusiast. After working as a web developer for four years, she quit corporate life to pursue her passion project, which is Fantasy Congress. Fantasy Congress is an online game that puts a fantasy sports spin on politics. Players draft members of US Congress, I love this, for their team and earn points based on legislative activities, actions like votes, sponsoring bills, and debating on the chamber floor. Fantasy Congress is intended to be a fun way to connect with friends while also helping people stay engaged and informed in the political process. So again, we're going to be talking today a little bit about building and launching and, and putting Fantasy Congress on pause for the moment. We're going to dive in. So Allison, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We were just chatting before we we hopped on that I got, we're, we're just, what, a five-hour drive away from each other here in the Midwest. And while I got six inches of snow yesterday. You didn't get any over in Chicago. Is that right? No, but yeah, last year for Halloween, we got three inches. So I'm very familiar with this experience of October snow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Cool. Let's dive into this because I'm pretty, pretty intrigued by your story. It's an interesting, it, you, you launched into a B2C play and you, people can follow along on your blog. Actually, what, what is the URL of, of where you're blogging? AllisonSiebold.com. Okay. And it's S-E-B-O-L-D-T. And I mm -hmm. read several of your updates and watched, watched your progression, but really you've, as a developer, you're obviously really leaned into this world of, of indie hacking. Can you tell us a bit about your journey from teaching yourself to code? So we'll go from, Hey, you already know how to code, but deciding, Hey, I am going to build fantasy Congress and I'm going to go all in on this. You want to talk us through how you made that decision? Yeah, I was teaching myself to code around like 2012, 2013, and in 2014, that's when I got my first job. And 2014 is actually when I came up with the idea of Fantasy Congress. So I came up with it. Originally, when I first thought of it, I was like, oh, that would be like such an interesting side project to put on my portfolio. But I got a job and then I got busy and I didn't really think about it. I was still obsessed with the idea, though. I just I couldn't get it out of my head. And I was working in the field for a while. I tried starting it as a side project a couple of times, and it just didn't really work for me. Coding all day or working 40 hours a week and then commuting and coming home. I just wanted to rest. I didn't want to continue coding. And Fantasy Congress was a kind of labor-intensive side project, so it didn't really work for me. 
I was still obsessed with the idea though and in 2017 I was thinking about oh, what I want to do next in my career and I decided to save up money and just quit my job and dive into it so beginning of 2018 I just dove headfirst into it total newbie had never started a business before had never done anything like this before and was just like hey I'll sink or swim let's see what happens and here we are two and a half years later mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So you didn't want to do it on the side because that's obviously the path a lot of people take because they do have the day job and they want infinite runway in essence, which is what a day job gets you. Was it the desire to not do it on the side? Was it that you were tired in the evenings? You felt like your focus was split? What went into that? The decision to truly quit your job because some, while some people do that, it's you know obviously not the most common thing you hear developers do. Yeah, there were two pieces to that. So when I was trying, so I did try to start it as a side project a couple of times, and I didn't have the time management skills I think I have now. So it, and it just felt too big. I wasn't, I never felt like I was making progress on it. I would come home and just dread, oh, I have to do more work. So it was more just, I think I have a certain amount of coding hours in me per day and like doing a side project while also having a full-time job, it was too much for me to handle. Today, now, I think I might have a little bit, I have better time management skills, honestly. Like being an right. entrepreneur has taught me time management skills. So I think I would probably, it would probably be easier for me now, but at the time then it didn't really work for me. And then the other thing too was I wasn't really happy in my current job. So I was, oh, what do I do next? Do I go get another job? I don't know, what if I don't vibe with that team? And I just, the entire time for the full four years I was working in uh, the industry, I just, I was obsessing over this idea and I was like, oh, I've tried to start this side project and it's not working. I feel like the only way it would ever actually happen is if I worked on it full time. So I just, I decided I was at this crossroads and I was going to go for it. Yeah. And it's, and it's a luxury to be able to do that. A lot of people, it, it's hard for them to save up enough money to, to be able to, to do that. Congratulations for you know, being able to pull that together. I'm curious, I've never heard of, when I see the idea for this, it, it's a no brainer. It's of course that should exist. Does it exist beyond, you know, did it exist before you built Fancy Congress or, or did you truly innovate in this space? No, it did exist previously. There's been a few different iterations of it. The most popular one was in 2006. It ran from 2006 to the end of 2007, I believe. And it was started by some college kids in California. And they, it, it's funny, I've talked to the previous founders a little bit. And they said it got, it picked up steam. They moved to DC to work on it, but it wasn't profitable. And I believe they sold it to Politico in 2008 and Politico kind of turned it into some other game and then they pursued something else. And then there's been other people who have started similar side projects or done similar things on the internet, but none of it's ever really taken off. I feel like no one seems to have treated it like a business from my perspective. Mm -hmm. When I was thinking about starting this as a side project, obviously I Googled, okay, this has to exist already. Surely somebody else has done this. And I did find these previous versions, but nobody was charging for it. Nobody seemed to be like making money off of it. They all seemed to be just side projects. Like I did this thing and I put it up online. Or in the case of the college kids in 2006, they were primarily trying to make money off of ad revenue, which didn't work out. So my thinking was, 
if I treated this more like a business, more DraftKings, FanDuel, maybe not like betting on it, those are definitely businesses. So if I focused more on, can I get people to pay for this? Maybe it would be more sustainable and grow and become this thing that I think it really big thing that I think it could be. And is that the revenue model? Do you charge like a monthly or an annual subscription fee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now I have two audience. So there's recreational players and then there's educators because I learned in the process of making this that civics educators find this very useful tool. So for the recreational players, uh, they pay a monthly subscription fee and then the educators pay a flat yearly fee. Got it. And what's the range of those fees just to give folks an idea? Uh, the recreational players right now, it's $19 a month. And then that's, so you sign up and that allows you to create leagues and then you can invite anybody to play in your league for free. And then for the educators, it's $149 for a year and you can create as many leagues and add as many students as you need to. Got it. And is that similar to pricing of a fantasy football app, like a FanDuel or whatever? I don't really watch sports, so I don't know much about fantasy <laughs> sports. So I don't know if you FanDuel know, is a betting thing or fantasy or what. It, it's like kind of both. So that's how most uh, fantasy sports apps make their money is based off of betting. So I, I haven't done those myself, honestly. I think it's usually uh, you sign up for free and then uh, you add your account and put money into it or you pay, you like pay to enter a league. And if you win, you get like a, a prize or whatever. And they take a percentage of that money or something like that. So I see there. Most of them are not pay to play. I'll say. Right. That's what I was thinking. And most, there really isn't B2C SaaS. It's arguable if there are any B2C SaaS apps that are at, at scale and because they just tend to use the free model and then have some model like that. It's either going to advertising or it's monetizing something that's not the, the people because consumers are just, did you consider a, a model that more like the fantasy football model where people do contribute and then take, you take a cut? So initially I'll say in, when I first quit my job in 2018, I was thinking originally that version too, that was my MVP that was based off of the midterm elections in 2018. And I was thinking, okay, so it'll be freemium because I didn't know any better. I thought anything, I thought every app had to be freemium, honestly. And I was thinking, okay, it'll be freemium and then I'll make money. I'll try to follow this fantasy sports style like people can win money off of it or whatever. And I consulted some lawyers and the lawyers were like, you definitely cannot do that. <laughs> do not do that unless you have a lot of money to spend on yeah. licenses and legal fees and whatnot. And I was like, okay, I won't do that then. Right. So I, then I thought like I do the normal freemium approach, which is where you can sign up for free. And then if you want extra features, you'll pay for them. There'll be like a special better account that you can sign up for and upgrade. I never got to that point, obviously, because freemium is, it's so hard just to ship something, especially like the very first time you're shipping something like this. And so I never got to that point to create extra features. But yeah, so I did explore the, the fantasy, more traditional fantasy sports style aspect of it and walked away from it quickly. <laughs> yeah, and that makes sense. And there are a lot of businesses that work at scale or that work with a lot of funding or that work with, again, at scale with a million users that, that just aren't, they don't make sense when you have a hundred or 500 users and you either have to monetize them differently or the, or they just don't work. There are, eBay, eBay doesn't work with 500 people using it. You need millions of people. You need the network effect. Facebook doesn't work with 500 people unless it's a really tight knit group. It's only at Harvard or whatever. 
And obviously fantasy sports, a fantasy sports site with only a few hundred people on it is probably more, it's, it's probably a much more challenging thing to run. But it sounds like that there was an inflection point as you were building this where you became aware of the worth of Fantasy Congress for educators. And you specifically said like civics instructors. How did you, how did you find that out first off? And I guess perhaps secondly, is it university or is it uh, more high school level folks? It's more high school focused. Although I have, I've had professors from West Point reach out to me. I've had a few different college professors reach out to me. So there's interest there as well. Yeah. So what happened in 2018 was I was trying to build this freemium app and I got to the beginning of the fall and I was obviously nowhere. I wasn't in any position to start charging for upgraded features. So I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I'm just going to try to write this out and then figure it out after that. And I had always thought educators might be interested in Fantasy Congress. I just didn't know how to begin reaching them. I thought that they would need like all kinds of crazy extra features. So what happened was they actually found me, which is crazy because I maybe did $50 worth of Reddit ads and that was all the marketing that I did for Fantasy Congress in 2018. But somehow they found me and Labor Day weekend, it got shared on a Facebook group of 4,500 AP government teachers. And they just went crazy for it. They all signed up at once that Tuesday after Labor Day. They were all trying to get their students onto the app. And I had this like really janky draft, like live draft app that I had written with WebSockets. I'd never used WebSockets before. So like all of these classes were trying to draft at once and they were crashing my app. So I just shut everything down, sent everybody an email and I was like, whoa, I don't know where you all came from, but you all found me and we just need to take a breather here. So I found out they all came from this Facebook group. And I just, that Tuesday after I shut everything down, sent everybody an email, we're having issues, we'll figure it out. I was just, okay, this seems like an opportunity. I need to ask for money here because these people seem really motivated. Maybe like educators could be part of, I could pivot to focusing on educators. If they'll pay me, I will pivot to them. So I started asking for money and they paid and I was like, okay, this seems viable. I think I just, I think I just validated. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool story. And it's one of those that I often talk about the path to success involves hard work, luck, and skill in varying combinations, depending on your story. And it's obvious you were putting in hard work to build this and you had built up the skills of being a developer and then you started building up the the ability to ship product and everything. And you got a little lucky with someone posting to a Facebook group. Someone discovers you based on $50 of ads, or maybe it was something entire. Maybe they just, you know, Googled you and found you. So then that leads to now you have these two different customer segments. You have the consumers that you mentioned earlier, 19 bucks a month, and you have the educators, 149 a year. That brings us to last month where you, you posted a blog post and you said you hit $1,000 in revenue, just over $1,000 and 550 that was recurring revenue. But at the end of the post, you said, Fantasy Congress is still my passion, but it's time for a break. I'm curious what you mean by a break. Like, what does a break mean to you? And, and why did you come to that decision? Yeah, so to me, a break means I've, I've been grinding on this full time and just it's been my one and only. So to me, a break means I'm just going to like, 
probably, I don't have any features planned to ship out in the next two weeks. Usually it's, oh, I know exactly what I need to do today. I know exactly what I need to do tomorrow. It's work. And I'm just, right now I'm just taking a step back to assess and reflect on what, where, where should I like send my energy next? I came to that decision because, so I was doing like contracting work to support myself and that ended in June. And I thought, hey, I don't have anything lined up. I have some savings built up. I, this environment that we're in right now with all the educators moving online and the political environment and the election coming up, it really seems like Fantasy Congress could really take off this year. So I'm just, what if I take some time to just focus hard and completely on Fantasy Congress, go you know, full-time on that? I set a goal to reach ramen profitability by the end of October. And last month, even though I made almost 1200 in revenue just in last month, when I was looking about how I made that revenue, I didn't feel like I could replicate it and let alone like double or triple it in October. So it was, hey, I'm not going to reach my goal. So let's just take a step back and reassess what happened and then pick it up in a couple of weeks or a month and then go in a new direction. Got it. Yeah, working for something, working on something for two and a half years and not having the traction you want is hard. And I feel like a break, I feel like that could re-energize you. G given how much passion you've had for this thing over two and a half years, do you feel like that's what it's going to give you if you take a step back for a month or two that you'll come back re-energized? Or do you think it will offer new ideas that you come up with while you're having that downtime? What do you hope to get out of that? break. This is just like something that I've always done. Anytime I start to feel burnt out or stressed out about something, and not to say I was like totally burnt out on Fantasy Congress, when you go really hard and you have a goal in mind and you don't reach it, like that's a bit defeating. So anytime I've set a big goal for myself and been a little disappointed that I don't meet it, I always just take a break. This is just something that when I was teaching myself to code and trying to get a job, I like did this too. And I always felt like my biggest breakthroughs came when I was taking those breaks. It was not actually giving up or whatever, but just like throwing up my hands and just like not thinking about it and pouting and just walking away. And then I'd be washing the dishes or something and like a big breakthrough would come to me. So it's more just about letting my brain decompress and just giving myself time to reflect too. I think sometimes I get too deep into my coding bubble and I'm just so focused on shipping features or whatever. And in the past like week or two, I've been doing just this reflection and not actively, it's always on my mind. Your business is always like in the back of your mind, you're always thinking about it, but not actively like sitting down with a pencil and paper and like trying to figure out problems. And I've just been reflecting and, oh, I should probably reach out and talk to my current customers and get some feedback from them. So sometimes when you're too deep in the weeds, it's hard to see the obvious stuff. So it's kind of just like pulling back and taking a break and looking at the big picture, I guess. That's how I look at it. Yeah. I think that's good advice. And I th see, I think that's something I do well in the short term, like during a day, I find myself fatigued. I walk away, I do the dishes, I make lunch, I walk the dog. I'm really bad at it in the way that you're doing it, where I, if I'm grinding on something and I'm not making progress for weeks or months for that matter, I need to get better. And I think if you're watching this or listening to it, I think it's something to be aware of in yourself is taking a week off, two weeks off, three weeks off, 
maybe it's completely from work or maybe it's just from that task or maybe it's that project if you have the luxury to do it. And if you're an entrepreneur, you may or may not, depending on the situation you're in. But I think that's good advice. We do have a question from the audience. Actually, we have a couple questions. So Pablo asks, did you ever evaluate selling it as a as part of a path forward? That's something that I would be open to eventually in the future, but I wouldn't want to sell it right now. I haven't I, I don't know if anyone would want to buy it as is right now. I feel like I haven't figured out any of the obvious problems that someone who's looking to buy a business would be looking for. I haven't been approached by anybody, but again, too, this is my passion. This is my baby. So I wouldn't want to sell it unless I feel like it's in a really good place. Very good. And then Pablo asked another question. He said, when you were finding contracting assignments, how did those potential customers or potential clients react to you having a startup on the side? Or did you not, or did you not tell them that you were running Fantasy Congress when you signed up to do contract work for them? It was a huge benefit to me. People loved hearing about it. Honestly, I feel like half the jobs I got was just because I'm the Fantasy Congress girl. Like it was, you hear about that and like people remember you first of all, because that's very unique and silly. And people, and then you have this work out there that you can show people like, Hey, and a lot of people who are hiring too are business owners. So business owners are more likely to trust other business owners. I feel when you're doing, I don't know if it's so much in the corporate world. So if I was trying to go back and get like a full-time job, I think people might be a little wary because it's like, Oh, is she going to quit the job in six months if this takes off? But with contract where people were like, Oh, I know how long I have you. And you know how to ship. It seemed yeah. to be a huge benefit. People really, yeah. it really resonated with people. I remember in my early days of, as I switched away from, uh, it was, I guess I had been a contractor, then I took a salary job and then I was switching back to contracting. This is 17 years ago. I launched a couple things on the, a couple small side projects and the fact that they were out in the world and that they were being used and that they did have some small amount of revenue and that they were in production. Just all these things really did impress people a lot more than I felt like it should. It was like, this wasn't actually, at least my stuff was stuff I built in. I've spent three weeks and coded at nights and weekends and stuff. Fantasy Congress, two and a half years. That's another story. <laughs> I Man, when I look at Fantasy Congress, I, I see such opportunity with like just the social media like i the facebook group post you talked about is exactly how i think this this the virality of this the viral potential with these rabid fans is how i feel like like the way this has to be grown when you watch like fanduel only advertises on tv because now they have buckets of money most of it venture capital i'm guessing they're not profitable yet but even if they are it's cuz they've hit scale in those early days all these fantasy league folks, they go after content marketing. They do, they could do PR. It's something that so many B2B SaaS founders can't do because we run boring businesses. Who, what PR outlet, what news org or magazine or um, anything wants to write about a new email service provider? None of them. However, you were just recently covered or by you at Fantasy Congress were just recently covered in rollcall.com which is a news site for US government stuff. Did that did you seek that out or did they just discover it and decide to write about you? This is so funny. So in July my big thing was my big focus was press because I agree like people always tell me, "Oh, this has such a chance to go viral." 
What I've learned though from a little bit of research is that virality is actually depreciative. So we think of virality as this thing where I post something, then all my friends see it, and then they post it and it grows and grows. But actually in reality, when they've studied virality, it's more somebody with a gigantic audience shares it. And then like from that gigantic audience, it like putters out. So like people retweet it and people retweet it becomes less and less. I do think it has a good chance to go viral. In July, I focused on press. I was like soliciting a bunch of reporters. I didn't get anything. I got a little bit of feedback. Oh, this could be super interesting. And then nothing ever came of it. This reporter for Roll Call was actually one of the people that I solicited. And so none of that took off in July. And I was like, oh, I'll go back and visit that some other time. It's something I'll go for some other time. I'll focus on some other stuff. And then so right after I put up my September blog post, which was like last week or whatever, This reporter reached out to me on Twitter, which is where I initially DM'd him. And he was like, hey, I was just about to reach out to you, but I saw that previously you had reached out to me. Crazy. Let's do it. Let's. So he, I don't know how he heard about it eventually, but yeah, it was so funny. It was me reaching. I did reach out to him. It didn't do anything, but then at some point he came across it. So at least I was targeting the right people. Yeah, that's right. And that's the thing. I like your point about virality. When I was saying virality, I don't mean, oh, for every person that signs up, two more are going to sign up for it. That's truly a viral loop. And so I I was misusing the word. But when I think about it, I think politics is a space that a lot of people don't care about. But the few people that do, or the I say few, the tens of millions, but it's whatever it is, 10% of the population or some number, the people that are really into it, they're really into it. It's like sports. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. It's like punk mm-hmm. music. It's their rabid fans. And I like my inclination when I look at this. I know you're on a break now, so I don't want to uh, put a bunch of uh, thoughts in your head. But that this works or doesn't work based on really inexpensive marketing, right? Because your lifetime value and your monthly costs and all, or monthly fees and all that are just too low to do a lot of extensive advertising. I think of influencers, I don't know if you've heard of Justin Robert Young, but he runs politicspolitics.com. And he's just an independent, he's like a blogger and podcaster. And he talks about politics and he also talks about technology and all this other stuff. But I don't know how many folks like him are out there, but he's doing like nonstop daily political podcasts and, and blog posts right now about the upcoming election. So f- influencers like him are what you're talking about with that amplification. And it's how do you get, mm-hmm. how do you get on their radar? How do you get Fantasy Congress on their radar? As well as the PR angle. I think you were on the right track with that. I know it didn't work out in July, but who has the audience that cares about this kind of stuff? When it's the press, it's folks like Justin and Robert Young, even a little, obviously the Facebook groups that are already built because you building it one at a time with ads or you trying to pick off one at a time with customers, I think is a pretty long road with an app like this, given the low price point. But finding the people who do already have aggregated those people in one place, unless, and then, but you know, you know this already because you're reaching out to journalists. I know that's a hard way to go. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's, a lot of reaching out and a lot of rejection and stuff, but I do wish you the best of luck with it as you take your break, recharge, and figure out where to take it next. We are actually at time, so I I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me for 30 minutes today. Folks want to reach out to you on Twitter. They can see your handle on the screen there. You're Allison underscore Seabolt, and of course, at Fantasy Kong on Twitter, and it's fantasycongress.com. Thanks again for joining Mm -hmm. me today. Yep. Thank you, Rob. All right. And thank you for joining us for yet another 
episode of MicroConf on air sometime. Producer Xander and I will go out and figure out how many episodes is this? What do we think? 40, 50? Doing them first daily and then bi-weekly and now weekly. We have something exciting coming up around SaaS podcasts. We will be uh, releasing more information about that in the next couple weeks, but stay tuned to the MicroConf Twitter account and our email list. Thanks as always to Hay and Stripe for being our headline partners for the year. And we're out. I'll see you here again next week. Same time, same place.